You're listening to WJMSRadio.com, where radio is reimagined. The Fired Up Show starts right now. And welcome. Happy Monday. Welcome, everybody, to Fired Up Radio right here on WJMS. This is Steve. I host the show each week, and we look at what goes on with the political system here in the United States. And we have a bunch of things to talk about this week. Uh, We'll get into that uh, straight away. But as always, we start off. Let's run down the important numbers. Uh, First off, as always, in the ongoing uh, battle against the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, we're at 9.9 million cases reported here in the United States with 237,000 people who have passed away from the disease. And notably, in the last week, we saw three days in a row where the number of new cases reported was above 100,000 cases per day. Uh, That is the highest amount of cases that we have seen uh, throughout the course of the pandemic, and it you know, indicates that this disease is is not going anywhere. It is still a major factor here in our country. And we still have, you know, a lot of people who are becoming infected with the disease and unfortunately are also succumbing to the disease. Uh, In addition, uh, some reporting came out where a study group was looking at the outcomes of the Uh, campaign rallies that were held primarily uh, for the Republican presidential uh, candidate, Donald Trump. And uh, it has been uh, estimated that an additional 30,000 people uh, became infected either directly or through close contact with people who were in attendance of the rallies. And it's estimated that some 700 people actually uh, died based on being exposed uh, either first degree or second degree to the COVID-19 virus at those rallies. And, you know, just more information, more facts that go into the case for making sure that we're doing everything we can to keep ourselves safe, our families safe, our communities, our states and our country safe. But uh, the other big number that we have to talk about is the election results. And uh, yes, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have been declared as the president and vice president elect uh, for the next four years. Uh, We're going to talk about that in a minute. But uh, equally important, the number of voters that turned out for the election, overall, a total of uh, just about 150 million people uh, voted in the election, and while there are still votes being counted, uh, that is an all-time U.S. record for the largest number of people to vote in a presidential election. Uh, the the declared winner, or the projected winner, I should say, uh, Joe Biden received uh, just north of 75 million votes, while Donald Trump Uh, received uh, just around 71 million votes, uh, both of which represent the number one and number two highest vote totals for a presidential candidate in this country ever. So for all of the people out there, for all of you out there who got out and either voted early, mailed in your ballots or absentee ballots, or went out and braved the lines and whatever other elements and issues that were going on in your neck of the woods in terms of going to vote in person. Uh, everyone needs to you know, take a congratulatory lap. Uh, we showed a huge increase in voter turnout, even over the 2016 election, which was a high voter turnout event. Uh, it'll be a few months before we actually see hard numbers in terms of, you know, final counts and the demographics of the vote. And once those come out, we will, of course, dive into them and break those down for you. Uh, But, you know, we definitely need to open up the discussion on the election of 2020 
and you know what has transpired a little do a little differently this week <laughs> so a little introduction a little uh run up to it That's right. Can you feel it? Can you feel it? There, there actually has been uh, something of a palpable change in the attitude and the, the overall energy level in the country. Uh, part of it could probably be ascribed to the fact that the election, or at least the voting, is over and you know, the campaigning is done, at least in this cycle, uh, but more and more, I think there is a sense uh, among the people of this country, or at least uh, 75 million of them, that a, a positive change for the United States has occurred with the election of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris to the, the White House uh, and to the presidency and vice presidency. So, you know, be that as it may, uh, we're going to take a look in this show at you know, what this election has meant and what it means, both in terms of, you know, the the outcomes and, you know, while the Democrats should be celebrating the fact that they have retaken the White House, uh, it was not a, a clean and total victory. Uh, let, let's let's understand and let's dive into uh, what what transpired in this election. So the overall outcome at the national level is, as I've said, uh, the Democrats uh, will take over as the president and vice president in January. Uh, as far as the Senate goes, uh, a, a equal target with what Democrats were hoping to accomplish was to take control of the Senate as well and obtain a majority in the, in the Senate. Uh, that has not yet been confirmed. There are still uh, a couple of uh, states where the election results have not been called. And so the final determination of who will be or will not be the senators from those states uh, is still up in the air. And then we also have a very important uh, pair of races going on in Georgia with the unusual circumstance of having two Senate seats uh, being up for election in the state of Georgia, and both of them are going to be going into a runoff vote, which will not happen until the 5th of January. So final control of who is going to run the Senate in terms of whether it's Republican or Democrat uh, is still up in the air. However, you know, Republicans should take heart that, you know, where the projections were that they were going to lose, you know, complete control of the Senate. It looks like, and again, given even given the outcome of the Georgia races, that they managed to play that contest to a tie where we could end up uh, being at a 50-50 split in the Senate, uh, which of course means that um, Vice President Harris or Vice President-elect Harris um, will sit as the presiding officer of the Senate and, you know, will decide any votes that are tied. So, you know, Republicans can take heart and take some pride in that they did beat back the Democrat effort to take full control of the Senate. Uh, they managed to play it to a tie. And, you know, it, it will shape how governing happens in this country. Uh, going forward into the four years starting in 2021. Now, the Democrats did retain control of the House, although the Republicans did manage to uh, flip, uh, I believe it was four seats in the House, so their majority in the House has been shaved a little bit, but the Democrats do still control the House. And, you know, what that leaves us with is, a, a split government system where the Democrats hold the executive branch and one half of the legislative branch. Uh, and then, of course, you know, the the Supreme Court and the, the, the court system uh, is now in a, a Republican led position 
with a 6-3 majority on the conservative side in the Supreme Court and a large number of uh, conservative uh, federal level justices or judges having been appointed by the Republicans in the run-up to the election of last week. So all in all, the election uh, was a mixed bag. There, there is you know, obviously uh, grounds for celebration on both sides. Uh, I'd say the Democrats have a, a larger celebration uh, for them as they achieve the goal of flipping the White House from Republican to Democrat. And, you know, as, as we, we start to analyze this vote, there's something to keep in mind that, as I said, 75 million people, give or take, uh, voted for the Democratic side and 70, 71 million people voted on the Republican side. This indicates that, you know, our country is, you know, still and remains very deeply split. And going forward, you know, this is going to be a challenging time for the Democratic leadership to, to manage uh, in this country and to try and build uh, cooperation and build bipartisanship. Uh, and, you know, the, the Democrats are already uh, starting to uh, throw out those olive branches to the other side. What remains to be seen is how the Republicans are going to respond to it. Uh, I think if you're a Republican, uh, if you are a Republican senator or a Republican member of the House of Representatives, uh, I think you need to look very carefully at you know, the result of the election and the needs that have been talked about as we've run through the campaign process with what this country really, really needs to address in terms of the issues that face us. You know, obviously, as I said at the top of the show, we've got approaching 10 million people who have been infected with COVID-19 and 237,000 who have died from that disease. Uh, the COVID pandemic has positioned itself at the very center of the economic, social, political, and health uh, uh, issues in this country and is is not looking like it is going to go away anytime soon. Um, you know, the, the, the talk is out there about vaccines coming and, you know, various treatments, but, you know, th this is going to be a multi-year struggle and we need to recognize that and act accordingly. Additionally, as a result of the COVID, we have you know, some uh, 10 to 14 million people who remain out of work, um, you know, myself included, and, you know, have been out of work for an extended period of time. There are people who have been out of work for the better part of going into seven months now. And that is having a huge impact, not only on families in this country and, you know, individuals, but on the economy itself and businesses, we've lost hundreds of thousands of businesses across the country that have closed. Uh, and many, if not most of them, do not have very good chances that they will ever reopen. We've had entire industries that have been brought to an absolute standstill. Uh, you know, notably, you know, the cruise industry has been brought you know, to, to shut down by the COVID pandemic. The airline industry has been severely impacted by COVID-19. And as a result of those industries, just to use those two as an example, there are a, a bunch of businesses in those orbits that rely on that industry for their very survival. Uh, you know, if you've ever taken a cruise out of any of the ports in Florida or New York or you know, California or anywhere, there are tons of businesses from taxis and Uber drivers to restaurants, hotels, you know, clubs, all kinds of things. Tourist destinations have been severely impacted. The wedding industry was brought to a near standstill because venues could not open to uh, either have a wedding in, in a church or in, in, a, in a social venue. You know, all of this has been the result 
of this COVID-19 pandemic. And there is a huge amount of work that the you know, current administration through the balance of its term in, in the lame duck until January, and then the new administration that takes over in January, they are going to have just a huge mountain of work to overcome to help bring this country you know, back around to something approaching what normal looked like you know, in, in 2019 and as we enter 2020. Um, it is a, a monumental task. And you know, as, as indicated uh, of the, the need for that, the incoming administration, in particular President-elect Biden, has already announced that as of today, of the, the broadcast of this show, there should be news out about people that he is starting to name to his COVID task force uh, to to take over the the management and the battle against this pandemic going forward. And, you know, normally among the first actions that a new president takes is to begin to flesh out his or her cabinet you know, those officials who are going to run the agencies uh, of the government and report to the president. That has actually been superseded by the need for this COVID pandemic to be dealt with uh, in a more uh, organized and more uh, strategic approach. And, you know, there, there's just a ton of things that are, are going to need to be done. The economy is going to need to have some major strategy and, and tactics put in place to help it recover. There is infrastructure that still you know, needs to be addressed. Uh, jobs need to be created. Millions of people need to be brought back to work so that they can uh, you know, pay the bills and keep a roof over their heads. You know, as we speak about that, the, the uh, economic assistance to the American people also has to be a, a priority one. Uh, we really should see the Republican administration as it moves through this, this next 70 days really needs to, to step up and get a deal done with the Democrats to get economic assistance out to the people who need it you know, uh, assistance for small businesses to help them reopen, assistance for the states and local governments in getting the schools to open back up, which is critical to people being able to go back to work. You know, there is a ton of work that needs to be done. And as, as we talk about on this show, uh, a lot of that energy is going to need to be driven by the people. You know, now, we just showed our elected officials what can happen when an overwhelming number of people come out and vote. We need to capitalize on that energy and that momentum and communicate with the existing and, and even the outgoing uh, elected officials from local level all the way up to federal uh, to you know, remind them that this business, the people's business, still needs to be addressed. So, you know, you may be one of the, the senators or Congress people who are going to be going home in January uh, to find something new, or, you know, maybe your, your term is, still has two years left on it. Uh, but either way, we need to make sure that we are communicating and keeping up that communication level that we, we uh, started and, and we built upon in the campaigns and in the election to get the message out to our elected officials that they need to continue to step up and do the work that we sent them to their uh, elected office to do. You know, and, and that goes, you know, of course, for the national level, but for the same thing, you, know, you need to be talking to your governor's office, to your state representatives, to your state senators. You need to be reaching out to the mayor's offices, to the, the city councils or the county boards or whatever the elected governance is in your area. You need to be continuing that communication that lets them know that, yes, the election may be done, but we're still watching. We still have the expectations we had before last week. And we will have those expectations going forward, whether you are returning to your office for another term or whether you are not. So, you know, call to action number one, 
Don't take your foot off that gas pedal, America. Keep that communication going. Keep those lines of communication happening. Keep uh, writing letters. Keep sending emails. Keep calling the offices. Let's make sure that we let our elected officials know that they need to pay attention to what happened in election 2020 because 2022 isn't that far away. And, you know, we can we can repeat this dance with those that were not up for election cycle this year uh, will be up for election cycle in 2022. And their job depends on how well they do the job that we sent them to Washington to do. So, you know, all all rant being aside for the moment, again, to the Democratic Party. Uh, congratulations on accomplishing your goal uh, with regard to the White House. Uh, but keep in mind that, you know, your victory fell short in several key areas, you know, in terms one of taking over the Senate and expanding your control in the House of Representatives. So while it is a win, it is not an overwhelming, decisive you know, clear victory with those two components uh, having fallen short. Now, we will see what happens in Georgia. And for those of you that are listening in Georgia, uh, you guys definitely need to stay on the J-O-B. Uh, get out there, find out what's going on with your the candidates and, you know, vote uh, in as high a number as you can in the runoff elections so that we can resolve the the control of the Senate for the next four-year term and uh, make sure that we understand how things are going to work. We're going to talk about that a little bit in the second half of the show, but, you know, uh, I wanted to, you know, celebrate, you know, or, or give the Democrats, you know, their due in what they've accomplished so, you know, we'll, we'll uh, do our musical break here with a little dedication tune to the Democratic Party uh, and on what transpired and what came out of the 2020 election. You're listening to Fired Up Radio right here on WJMSRadio.com. This is Steve. We'll be right back after the break. And again, uh, songs dedicated to the uh, president-elect and vice president-elect and all those Democratic candidates who successfully uh, stayed in office or the new people who will be coming into office uh, in the coming period. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Cause there's a reason to rejoice, you see
And we're back. Da, 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 da. Brand new day. So I'm going to amend my dedication. Uh, yeah, it's a celebratory song. And, you know, we can we can celebrate the uh, Democratic success in the election. But I think more broadly, this is an American celebration. Uh, it, this is, in, in many ways, a brand new day. Uh, we have a chance to you know, to modify the direction this country is going. We have a chance to build some new bridges or repair some existing ones that, you know, became a, a little bit beat up and, and broken through the course of the campaign and, and all of the things that went on during the campaign. So, you know, for, for all of us, you know, it, it is a brand new day. You know, for Democrats, obviously, it's a brand new day in terms of leadership. For Republicans, it's a brand new day in terms of here's an opportunity for us to recall that at the end of the day, we're not red, we're not blue, we're Americans. This is the United States of America. And you know, hopefully going forward, we can begin the process of, of rebuilding those bridges that, as I've said, have, have become uh, somewhat beaten down over the past uh, few years and, and, and beyond. So, you know, welcome America. Welcome to your brand new day. Let's, let's take the opportunity and move forward, uh, move upward, and let, let's do things, you know, better than we have in the past. Uh, so, you know, as, as I said, coming out of the first segment, um, let, let's take a look uh, not at the election in terms of vote counts and counties and, uh, you know, states being called for this candidate or that candidate. I think there are some more lessons that we can take away and, and some more direction that this election can give us in terms of how we move our country forward as a nation, as one nation, as a united nation. And there are some things that we definitely need to uh, investigate and evaluate uh, going forward. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to task the incoming administration to address these things, uh, the, these long-term objectives, as well as the, the more immediate objectives that I outlined in the first segment, you know, notably the virus, an economy, and jobs, and, and so forth. Um, but as we dissect the, the 2020 election, and by extension, going back through the prior presidential cycle in 2016 and some other cycles that have occurred you know, over the last uh, 20 years, um, one of the things that a lot of discussion was put into as we were progressing through the campaigns was you know, the, the issue of the Electoral College. Now, the Electoral College was a... Uh, mechanism that the founding fathers put into the Constitution in order to, and, and again, you have to caveat this with remember when this document was written and what the United States looked like at that time as opposed to what it looks like now. And, you know, at, at that time, there were essentially 13 colonies, uh, you know, all the, the original 13 colonies of the, the newly uh, minted United States, and the Electoral College was put in place as a mechanism of uh, prioritizing the vote to the the rich and wealthy uh, of the of the age. You know, for example, even though the Constitution you know codified that all citizens had an, an equal vote in the democracy, uh, in fact, at the time all citizens uh, and, and all residents did not have an equal vote. You know, of, of course, there's been plenty of discussion about the status of African-Americans and enslaved people at the time and, and that they were not counted as a, quote, fully, full human, close quote, uh, being relegated to three-fifths status. Um, and the Electoral College was a way for the, the powerful of that time to retain power and control power uh, over the course of the ensuing 240 some odd years 
has lost a lot of its intended effect uh, in that it became a mechanism where, you know, states had, you know, more power. Some states had more power than other states through the fact that they had more electoral votes than other states uh, because of their populations. But also this led to this current system we have now where the election is not decided by the, op the overall uh, popular vote, uh, the overall number of people who vote one way or the other. Uh, it has come down to a handful, you know, depending upon the election cycle, you know, five to seven to, to maybe 10 states that are critical uh, by virtue of them being so-called swing states, ones that go, you know, on election cycle from one party to another and, and therefore are in play. Um, this has, has become an impediment to a fair and impartial election, in my opinion. And, you know, this is evidenced by not only, you know, the election we just concluded here in 2020, but the prior election uh, presidential cycle in 2016, where in, in both cases, you had one candidate who secured the majority of the popular vote. Uh, and in 2016, the opposing candidate was successful in pulling together a coalition of electors uh, in various states around the nation that gave you know, him, the person of Donald Trump, the presidency, even though he did not achieve a substantial margin of the popular vote. Uh, what we have seen in this immediate past election cycle that we finished last week is that the the ultimate or the um, the projected winner, uh, that being Joe Biden, uh, in, achieved both a popular vote victory and an electoral college victory, but again, not based on all 50 states' electors, based on a few key state electors that focused a lot of campaign attention, a lot of media attention, so if you were in states like North Dakota or, you know, uh, Idaho, you know, and so forth, you really could make the case that your election process was somewhat ignored because you weren't one of the, quote, battleground states, close quote. So you didn't get the media attention. You didn't get the the level of visits that we saw in states like Texas and Florida and Michigan and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and, you know, um, Iowa and, and these states. So one of the things that I, I think an incoming administration, and this could be whether it's a Democrat or a Republican in, uh, administration, if they are serious about curing the the perfection of our democratic voting process, one of the things we need to do is to assess and determine what should be done with the Electoral College. Now, there's been a lot of talk out there about outright abolishing the Electoral College. Um, and, you know, from a, a strategic point of view, that's a logical idea. From a practical matter, it is a very, very complicated process. The Electoral College is codified in the Constitution of the United States of America. In order to abolish it, it would require that our Constitution would need to be amended. And that's a process that involves uh, ultimately the vote in favor of 38 states uh, for the amendment before that could transpire. And to put it in a little bit of perspective, several of the most recent amendments to the Constitution took many years and in, in, a, in a couple of cases, decades, in order for the amendment to be finally rat, ratified by 38 states. Um, the Equal Rights Amendment is one example that comes to mind, having just been finally uh, ratified by the 38th state, uh, within the last uh, year, and that, that capped off a more than 25-year process 
uh, to get that ratified. So, you know, while abolishing the college constitutionally uh, sounds like a good idea on paper, where the actual practical matter of making it happen uh, would would uh, be very problematic and very long term. Not to say that it should not be considered, but I think it's one option that needs to be addressed. I think, a, in my opinion, a more practical solution is to um, evaluate and and you know dissect and analyze uh, how the electoral college is implemented and apply changes to that process uh, across the states. Now, how do we make that happen? Well, you know, one way, and, and again, my suggestion is, you know, the, the president and working with Congress, both the House and the Senate, would put together a bipartisan panel of, you know, uh, not elected officials, uh, but officials with election experience, you know, you could include retired judges, former senators, former congresspeople, and so forth, but people who don't have a stake in the current version of the Electoral College to get together and, as a commission, study, analyze, dissect, and come back with a report on what could be done about the Electoral College. Now, there's precedent for this. This approach has been taken both with, with other very large-scale, very complex, uh, very universal problems. Uh, it was done as part of the analysis of what occurred on 9-11. It was done as part of the analysis on what occurred back in uh, the, the mid-60s with the Kennedy assassination. These, you know, whether you call them blue ribbon panels or whatever you want to call them, are, are pulled together. They operate independently. Uh, they are not beholden to the government beyond a mandate for what they need to do and perhaps a time frame. And, you know, they, they go about their work and return to the Congress and to the president their report and recommendations on what should be done about the Electoral College. Now, once that occurs, then the, the Congress would then proceed to, to place this in front of the states where there would be you know, debate at the state level, because keep in mind, elections are run at the state level, not federally, even though the federal government has a role States run their elections by their rules. It's part of the reason we had such a convoluted process in our 2020 election. So this panel would provide its results to the president and to the Senate and the House. And those two bodies, the legislative and the executive branch, would then present those arguments to the states and the states could, you know, work at add it to to polish it and come back with their recommendation which the states would then have to ratify in order to make an amendment to the constitution um, relevant to the electoral college i'd say if if that process started tomorrow it is probably one that could take you know easily five years in order to to come to the report and then you know it, it could be another five years or more after that for the states to weigh in and final votes to happen so it, it is not a short-term fix however it is something in the in my opinion that you know this administration coming in can start and put in motion and it will be future administrations hopefully that keep it going and you know let it arrive at its conclusion so that's that's one thing i think you know we can take away from the elections of, of 2020 and by extension 2016 and and others uh you know like 2000 so that we avoid these kinds of conflicts going forward um, the second thing i think and and this 
would be targeted more toward the states, uh, again, since they are the responsible parties for running uh, elections uh, nationally because they're conducted under state laws, is to establish a national standard for the voting process. Uh, right now, whether it's in-person voting as to you know, what day you vote on, if you have early voting, when that can start, when registrations can occur, what's done with, you know, absentee ballots and, and vote by mail ballots and so forth. Because as, as a side note, I think that vote by mail and absentee ballots are not going away. They are going to become a part of our regular uh, national election. And in some in most cases, I'd say uh, state statewide election processes that we are going to see going forward that there's going to be a a a mail-in absentee ballot submission process that is concluded as well as an in-person voting process. Even once we get to you know the bright sunny day of. COVID being no more of a, a health concern uh, for us than the annual flu season is right now. Not to say that it that the flu is, is inconsequential, you know, 30,000 people a year die from it, but it, it does not create the impacts that COVID has done to this country over the past year. So uh, how, what does this look like? Well, uh, we need to address the voting process. Number one, uh, perhaps we need to have a universal standard ballot format uh, for national elections and by extension for statewide elections that unifies the ballots uh, across the states uh, to one standard type, um, particularly when we're talking about mail-in ballots. Um, you know, as we looked across this election, some states required, you know, multiple signatures. Some states required that before you could submit your ballot, it had to be notarized. So, you know, all of these differences need to be ironed out so that we have a consistent ballot standard. Uh, and the same thing, as I mentioned, you know, just a bit ago, consistent voting rules. You know, when can you vote? Where can you vote? Um, you know, what, what are the operating guidelines for polling places, for in-person voting? What are the operating guidelines for, you know, mail-in and absentee ballot drop-off? You know, all of these things need to be standardized across a, a national standard that the states would adopt uh, in order to, to expedite that process. Now, I will say that, you know, this process, because it would be, you know, state-driven, so you would end up having, you know, basically 50 committees or 51 committees or however many you, you constitute is going to be uh, logistically a little bit more difficult to, to manage. However, it is something that is not a, a difficult process to undertake from the standpoint of, you know, each state, you know, at, at the governor level would buy into the the need for a standardized national voting process and they would appoint their own you know blue ribbon um, bipartisan non-political committees uh, with the mandate you know from the federal government saying this is what we want you to come back to us with we want a standardized ballot format and perhaps the, the federal government could offer a few suggestions um, to the states as to what it might look like. We want a, a standardized time frame for such things as early voting, uh, when votes can be submitted or when ballots can be submitted, how many days uh, after, does it require a postmark day of, so on and so forth. All of these suggestions could be made to the states and then the states given the mandate to iron it out and communicate amongst themselves and and come back with a unified plan. Now, again, this is not something that it, it would be solved in a week. This would be a multi-year, uh, multi-election uh, cycle process. But if 
the if the the parties are you know fully on board with getting this this taken care of realizing all of the drama and and rigmarole that they went through with you know the the 2020 election and the 2016 election and then you know the monumental task that occurred in 2000 where you know uh, again it came down to whether or not a card was sufficiently punched and so forth i mean there are all kinds of things that go into the confusion that we saw play out over the course of last week uh one uh reporter was showing how you know the 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 ballots were being marked with a sharpie and there was concern about the bleed through because where ballots are printed on two sides the back side of you know think page one and page two the marks might bleed through on page two and obscure or mix up the votes that were being you know taken there so i mean it's all these these kind of details uh it, it is you know a a standardized balloting system and you know i'd add in that you know the the mandate could be given to the states along with some suggestions uh for a national standard for voting system security that needs to be in place you know we we in all the hype about the election itself we have you know forgotten that there were reports out there of foreign actors who were going to play a role and you know that's likely going to resurface as we go forward over the next few weeks and and you know the conspiracy theorists out there begin to say you know well it was this country or that that uh terrorist group or this conspiracy group or whatever that hacked into the system and messed with the votes we don't know we'll see what happens there um and and other things that we we learned from this election uh, are really more of a a procedural process uh, in that and I'll, I'll give you an example the Associated Press and Fox News both uh, declared Arizona for president-elect Biden on Thursday I believe but the other major media outlets didn't pick up in that until Saturday and then once Pennsylvania came in on Saturday then the other outstanding states uh, with the exception of Georgia and I think they still held Arizona out um, were declared by the major media outlets that's you know CBS ABC NBC uh, MSNBC so on and so forth so you know a a reporting standard could be established uh, again under the leadership of the states, the states would take the lead in this and, you know, uh, come back with their recommendations on how our election process needs to be addressed. And, you know, in, in case you're thinking that, well, there, there's, you know, how would they do that? There is precedent for this. That's how, that's how uh, our Constitution gets amended. Uh, a constitutional convention is held at which every state is represented. The ideas are, you know, presented, debated, discussed, and voted on, and a final slate of the recommendations are brought forward. So this would be a process that would be a worthwhile endeavor for us for the future to help smooth out these wrinkles that we have seen over the last 20 years in our electoral process both uh, voting and vote counting. So we're, we're going we're gonna to touch back on this. Uh, this is not something that, you know, I can address in half of one episode of Fired Up. So, you know, we will continue this discussion across multiple episodes, particularly as we're now in the lame duck portion of the current administration. And as we see what kinds of things are, are transpiring from that. Uh, so, you know, as I said, welcome to, you know, the new, the brave new world. Um, congratulations to those candidates uh, out there who 
were successful in their efforts. Um, congratulations also to all of the voters out there for standing up and showing an overwhelming representation of how democracy is supposed to work. And, you know, it is, it is appreciated. So that's going to wrap up our show this week. As always, uh, please make sure that you continue to stay safe. Uh, if you're going out, you know, mask up, glove up, wash your hands, do all of the things, maintain your distancing, uh, stay safe, be healthy, be happy. Uh, you're listening to Fired Up right here on WJMSRadio.com. If you want to comment or ask questions uh, on the show, please send an email to firedupradio at yahoo.com. That's going to do it for me. This is Steve. I'm your host each week. I will see you next show, and I look forward to talking to you again in seven days. Wherever you stand, calling every woman, calling every man. We're the generation we can't afford to wait. The future started yesterday, and we're already late.